You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to episode 20 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Brendan. Awesome, awesome. So this week we're back with one of our class deep dives. For these episodes, Hayden and I dedicate an entire episode to breaking down specific class and constructed with a focus on core fundamentals, ways to play and build the hero, key cards, strengths and weaknesses, how to win, and ultimately how to beat it. Our fourth installment hails from the Savage Lands, and in our opinion, the most criminally underrated class in all of flesh and blood. Brute. But first, Hayden, tell me about your week in fab. Most criminally underrated? Yeah, no, I, I think come somewhat agree. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this week has been just some testing and um, played one armory. Yeah, it's that's kind of been a bit about it, but um, it's been a good week. How about you, Brendan? I think you've got a, you've done a bit more than I have this past week. Huh. Yeah, so I got back from Kansas um, on Monday actually, and that was it. So that event was on, I think it was on Saturday. Um, I was able to win that event. Um, pretty interesting one. It was about thirty people, so the smallest one I've been to. Um, and because it was 30, it's actually five rounds, so just shy of six. This is a road to nationals, is, right? Yeah, this is a road to nationals. So yeah, third road to nationals win and three for three on chain. So 100% on the chain. <laughs> Only dropped the Bravo. But yeah, it was an interesting, um, interesting group of players because it was essentially most of the players, if not all of them from the top tables in Oklahoma were just at Kansas. So although it was a smaller field, um, it did feel a bit tight to get in just because you are on the five rounds, so not a lot of room for mistakes. Um, I did go 4-1 in Swiss and then obviously 3-0 through, the, uh, through the top eight cut and was able to take home the win. So yeah, pretty nice. A lot more chain mirrors um, than usual just because of how the pairings landed. Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, sweet. I got, to, I got to watch your finals match actually on, uh, on the stream that the store put up, so that was, that was good to see that. And yeah, no, congrats. Good good run. Good stuff. You you know, made the made the trip up. Uh what was the it was 30 players, wasn't it? So just on that cusp yeah. with that five to six round, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was happy in terms of like my time and energy for it being five rounds, but strategically it wasn't it wasn't great. <laughs> Considering, you know, what happens if you take an early loss and and that kind of in that kind of structure but yeah that final smash what did you that was pretty crazy huh <laughs> how was that that pivot turn with zero resources yeah yeah it looked like looked like you were pretty far ahead and then your opponent managed to pull out a pretty pretty good turn a 20 damage turn from sort of nowhere which was was nice for them but yeah i think by that point um you know just the game management sort of saw you through which was which was nice i was sweating i was sweating <laughs> I bet. That. yeah i was uh, i was very i was very far ahead and then i saw probably one of the most legendary pivot turns in like ever um I think it was off the back of zero resources. We saw about 20 damage. It was a crazy sequence of uh, Shadow of Ursers and uh, Bounding Demigons. So yeah, I went from being very, very comfortable to just absolutely sweating and winning by uh, by arcane damage in the end. Yeah, so, I think they have one, one pitch card to play the, the Art of War. But yeah, it was, it was, once I got to that, they had Shadow Versus and Bounding Demigons cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was spicy. But yeah, very happy to pick up the third win. And this weekend, I guess, uh, I have two more events. This is the, the end of my road to Nationals. So I have four and five this weekend. So Saturday and Sunday, luckily both in Dallas. So see if we can get uh, get two more wins. If not, no big deal. Calling is coming up. And that is what I'm looking towards. 
Yeah, not long now. What, to basically two weeks from when this drops, you'll be... Everyone will be in Vegas who's going and, and ready to play. Actually, at this time, they'll probably be playing the <laughs> World Premier Sealed event, which is super exciting. Such a cool cool event to have it at, um, at Vegas calling. Yeah, uh, very, very excited for that, to say the least. Uh, kind of being able to play, you know, what seems to be like a flagship limited format um, for the first time and in such a, such a kind of an awesome atmosphere, I think it's going to be... I don't know. It's going to be memorable. <laughs> it's definitely going to be memorable. I'm yeah. very excited for the Arsenal Pass limited review as well. Yeah, well, hey, you, you'll, you'll have the, the knowledge this time. you have the, the insider scoop from being in Vegas. <laughs> for sure. All right, Hayden, take us into the news. Yeah, well, first piece we've got to talk about is we're talking about Tales of Aria. We've, we've got three spoiler cards, so um, some, some early spoilers for all the fans out there. Um, you know, official previews don't actually start until wednesday uh this coming wednesday so lss provided um you know three creators with spoilers so the lexi hero that we'd already seen the art of where james white had already talked about lexi um was speculated that lexi was the ranger and then you know we got we got that confirmed uh with the spoiler that came out on was it three days ago now um so and then we know the you know it's an elemental ranger so you know really exciting we see the the elemental um uh ability <laughs> just talent just blank talent, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, um and so we know that uh within that there's what's people have speculated around like sub sub talents i guess with um the elements is kind of what seems to be happening with essence um so lexi has essence of ice and lightning um, i'm sure there'll be you know a third third essence and then we'll we'll see what happens from there so yeah really really cool um we also saw shiver which is uh lexi's weapon um her bow and also a elemental card in the form of weave lightning um so yeah really really yeah hayden super excited with uh the preview of the weapon actually we can see that the new ranger is already able to able to kind of interact at instant speed with that weapon um i know both me and you are huge instant speed fans big big kano players so that stuff gets me really excited i mean already the hero looks incredible um kind of go again on demand has you know i'm gonna put in quotations historically shown to be pretty good so already seeing this on lexi it looks like it's a very very powerful hero ability and then we can only you know we're not going to speculate too much um it's outside of the scope of this pod maybe in time in the round but frostbite whatever it may be i think it may be a bit of a hoser to having multiple attacks on the chain whether that's you know reduced by a certain amount of damage for each attack you know you take damage for playing into out attacks or maybe even stopping gogan past a certain extent altogether who knows uh but sounds pretty spicy yeah you, you're giving a lot of people i've heard that from a lot of people and that's what people want i feel like that'd be oh, really? quite strong <laughs> but we'll we'll see what happens yeah we've lightning also a really cool card the first um action that we've seen so it's a lightning action uh, i think is, is really sweet as well so you know it's a it's a buff card but it says entwine on it so uh, sorry not entwine, uh, fuse on it <laughs> um so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens there i was just looking at the art and i was like oh that's such a cool art and i said entwine, but fuse yeah we'll see see what happens there but now when the, yeah when the pod drops basically we're four days five days out from previews so and just to talk about preview we have our preview card on the third so friday is gonna be our preview card dropping um i don't know i need to check the exact time i believe that's uh new zealand time so it would drop probably just before or after the the pod so uh we will we will let you know we'll 
drop a note on the socials and let you know what time that's dropping exactly. Um, you know what? Before the end of the pod, I will have checked and we will we will say at the end of the pod what time it is dropping. Yeah, I'm, yeah so I, I have communed with the, the deities at LSS and uh, it is a ranger spoiler and it does allow for two arsenals, hence it's coming to Arsenal Pass. You know, it's going to be really funny if I'm actually correct and then it looks like I just spoiled the card way too early and I get in trouble, but totally speculating, but... I'm hoping that it has something to do with the Arsenal, and we, you know, we have been thinking multiple Arsenals, so maybe we'll land around there. Sorry, I said we're not going to speculate, but I'm just getting excited. We're <laughs> getting hot and bothered here. You on just a, uh, on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want to. Um... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it would yeah. would be thematic, right? Yeah. So we we don't actually have a set. A set I'm just checking. We don't have a set time for ours, but ours is on September third. So um, we will be. We might get a, a time close to it. I don't know. So we'll. We'll be dropping that. I'm really excited. I haven't seen the card yet, but um, I imagine we will yeah, very, very soon. Very, very excited. Awesome. So want to shout out some of our YouTube stuff that's been coming out. We had a Rhino versus Dash gameplay go up and a Bolton versus Bravo. Both are really tight games, um, but I think the Bolton versus Bra- Bravo is really one that you can't miss. Um, it was one of the kind of the more incredible games that I've actually ever had the pleasure of playing. Um, so I don't want to spoil too much because you will definitely be surprised with the the depth that game that game goes in the end game and uh yeah definitely check it out arsenal past youtube channel been having a huge push for youtube recently seen amazing support climbing up there you into the 1.5 closing in on 2k subscribers soon who knows when hayden will dye his hair we'll have to see it's just going to be a tattoo on his forehead eventually because he's dodged it for so long <laughs> who knows but- when hayden's gonna get a lockdown that's the question yeah um speaking of youtube do you want to give a shout out to our patreon we launched that um i think it's about a week ago now and we had our first deck guide go up that is for the bravo deck and we're talking you know uh full deck list sideboard guide deck theory um you know some math and then just everything you need to know if you want to pick up that deck bring it to an event and be competitive um we also had the first kind of patreon exclusive podcast that is going to be live by the time i think that this podcast is live and that is the three main things you need to win a calling and of course coming from the infamous calling champion himself hayden dale and then i also pipe in a few times as a calling runner up myself but obviously hayden dale's master class on how to win a calling i took some tips myself (laughs) and i'm ready to go to vegas uh well can you you go one bit at this time and then you know (laughs) yeah just one more spot (laughs) Um, so anyway, Hayden, no command and cookout this week. We did have an awesome amount of questions last week for our mailbag. I think it was almost near hundred. So that was, we were really, really pleased with that. Um, but we'll be taking those into time in the ROM, but in, for the sake of these class, you know, class deep ties being quite long, we're just going to head straight into the main topic. Of the yeah. Yeah. Take just, there, just one thing before we, we head into the main topic room, just want to share, um, our release schedule. So our, our release schedules had a bit of an update. Um, I mean, when I say a bit of an update, I mean, we have a set release schedule now for our gameplay videos, for our deck tech videos, for our, you know, for time in the round and for the pod. So the pod's always been the same, always comes out, um, at the same time, which is, uh, at, Thursdays at 8 p.m. CST, um, which is 11 a.m. in Australia, which is 1 p.m. Friday in New Zealand. And then uh, time in the round has been pretty consistent, and we're going to keep that time slot, which is uh, at Saturday, 11 a.m. CST, uh, and at ends up being 2 a.m. for uh, myself here in Australia and 4 a.m. for New Zealand. So, you know, on Sunday, Sunday morning, that's, um, that's up and, and there for you. And then gameplay. So gameplay is uh, coming out on Tuesday mornings um, in the U.S., uh, in north america so we're gonna stick to those slots going forward 
just wanted to let everyone know in case they are wondering if we're, you know, we're sporadic or we're, we're a bit more organized. We're more organized now, Brendan. Sweet. Yeah. Mark your calendars. Uh, get ready for this. I mean, it's just been really good um, with the kind of the consistent release schedule, getting consistent gameplay out, consistent pause, consistent deck decks. That is one thing we've kind of always strived to do since we created the channel or the podcast, whatever you want to call it. But now we're adding on the, you know, the gameplay and the deck decks, just helping, you know, trying to help you guys level up. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Main topic it is. So we are discussing our, our guide to Brute, our Brute 101. So, um, you know, we're calling this the, the, the beast within, awakening the beast within. Um, so the root class is, you know, it's pretty unique as a lot of classes are in this game. Um, we think about the three heroes that we have currently for brute in the form of Reiner and Ko as the young hero, and then the shadow brute in Livia. It's, you know, one of the things that comes to mind when you think about brute first is those additional costs, right? And, um, often one thing that does pop into people's head is, you know, there's, there's this random aspect to brute. He's, He's wrecking everywhere. He's, you know, he's raging through the Savage Lands and just, you know, um, smashing things at random, etc. So, you know, Brute, that sort of thing comes to mind first, I think, which is, is really interesting. But when you dive into the class further, it's it's a lot more than that, right? So, you know, there are these additional costs of the discards and um, we see that sort of has changed as, you know, we've gone from Reinar and Welcome to Wraith through to what that looks like with um, Olivia and Monarch. So, you know... Runner has these, or I guess Livia has more some more appropriately costed cards, uh, and the, the risk is a little bit less, right? So with Brute and Welcome to Wraith, it was a lot of you know additional cost is discard a random card from your hand. Whereas with Livia, we see a lot of the stuff which is draw and discard. You know, um, we've seen Pulping come in, we've seen Shadow Blasphemy Fit, so Deadwood Rumbler, these cards, and you know this helped fill up the grave, of course, for Livia, which which she's all about, but. Um, we also see Dominate become like a, a really key form of evasion with Livia. But in Welcome to Wraith, for instance, we saw it really be around about the Intimidate mechanic, which is Reinar's, you know, like key mechanic uh, with that sort of, you know, that chaos ensuing, right? Taking your opponent's cards at random so that their turn gets thrown into into a bit of chaos and they can't probably do exactly what they wanted to in terms of defending and attacking uh, because their hand is kind of being torn apart to a degree. Ko, so Hayden, I've heard, I've heard. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was well, just going to actually. KO, this you this leads right into Ko because yep. I've heard you say random a lot, but I want to ask you: Is brute a random class? Is it a high variance class? Do I play this? You know, there's a lot of dice rolling. There's a lot of you know extra action points, no extra action points, and maybe sometimes doubling my attack. Is brute? You know, is there a lot of RNG? I, I don't think so. Like I think that's the kind of perception of brute as a class is that it's an, an RNG class. But I just I couldn't disagree more. And we're going to talk about. The reasons why that is the case but you know at a, at a top level basically it's that um flesh and blood has variants right and there is aspects of variance within the game um and they but they all come from different different parts so you know card draws one uh resource ratios and and, and costs are one um additional costs or uh you know banish effects like chains banish effect like these are all things that can have variance play into them and brutes no exception to that it's just that brutes always looks a lot more obvious to people right it's the oh it's a random discard um well is it random if you only have one card in hand oh you know scabskins is a, a random dice roll well do you need to be rolling scabskins uh what's you know there's all these trade-offs so we're going to talk about that more as we get into it but uh, i don't you know personally and i think Brian, you share this opinion uh brute is no more i guess uh, of an rng class than other classes out there yeah, sometimes less so too, which is the funny part. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, which we will talk about as well. Except maybe our friend Ko. So <laughs> Ko is the interesting one, and I think Ko really, I guess, backs into 
that um, that KO side. And I mean, it's in the name, right? KO is a berserker. So that's where you see maybe a little bit of a departure of that. But, you know, Livia, she, she's a smarter brew, right? Um, and and Reinar even to an extent. So, yeah, excited to talk about the that. But I, yeah, I did actually say, you know, uh, I think most importantly, it's not a dice roll class. It's not an RNG uh, class. And it, actually, it, it is one of the more difficult and intricate classes in Flesh and Blood, uh, especially the way that you structure turns and, and actually structure your deck. So, yeah. All right, Brennan. Awesome. Yeah, so now into my favorite section, which is going to be the history of Brute. Um, Brute has one of my my favorite histories of Flesh and Blood out of you know most classes because of the way it was treated in Welcome to Wraith. Mm-hmm. The way I was, when I say the way it was treated, the way it was disregarded. So Welcome to Wraith contract, constructed saw a you know we talked about the class being criminally underrated. I mean that is exactly what it was in, in Welcome to Wraith. So Welcome to Wraith, as most of you know by now, was dominated by um, Warrior and Ninja for the most part, and then there was Guardian. Uh, close behind, and then far, far behind that guardian was the brute. So brute may have had a bit of a tougher matchup into, you know, maybe into more mid-range aggressive Durantialis, and maybe into ninja as well. But it was the perfect theoretical ca- theoretical counter to the most powerful deck in that format, which was discovered a bit late. There's going to be ninja control or ninja turtle, so ninja with drone of brutality, focusing on a control strategy. That deck, what it wanted to see the least across from it was brute. <laughs> As it turns out, at that calling, there was very, very few Brute players, and Mr. Hayden Dale himself was not able to show up, um, and I think you would have been piloting Brute, is that correct? Uh, it would have been close. I actually never decided on the deck I would have played because I couldn't go, but I was, it was tossing up between between Brute and, um, and Guardian in the end, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you agree that Brute was a little bit underplayed and uh, yeah. you know, maybe underrated in that format? I have the I have the meta game actually. So at the at the Auckland calling in that year, so that was the very start of twenty twenty. Um, Dorinthia and Katsu were both about thirty three percent of the meta at that event, uh, and then Guardian was sitting at around twenty five percent, and then Rhino was sitting way down in like you know less than twenty percent. So um, Rhino was really underrepresented at that at that calling, and I th- and no Rhino onto top eight so Dorinthia, bravo cuts all rips into that top eight but just in general rhino was not heavily played in that format it was definitely one of the least uh it was definitely probably the least played class uh, in that format so yeah mm-hmm. really interesting and i believe that that was the first deck tech kind of video that Legend story studios did the first video they released was an otk reinar <laughs> build which to an extent is actually the probably the only reason that reinar may have been over five percent or ten percent of the colonies because mm-hmm. a lot of people are on that otk um Reinhardt built with the brushing beatdowns and you know just coming in for unblockable damage at the end uh that deck looks was very very slow for that format i mean it's very very uh i didn't think it was strong enough but we did see a lot of people pull it out because it was fun i think if that hadn't been released we may have seen even less brute um which is crazy because the class was actually really really strong and welcome to wraith and it was i mean i don't think it maybe it wasn't the best pick for the first tournament right where ninja drone ninja control which is two decks but later in that format when you know more people picked up that deck yeah brew would have been a great pick yeah i think it's also just really um misunderstood exactly what rhino was about in that format you know there was i think people did have that perception of like an you know a dice roll class like use your scab skins and like go to town um but I think actually what Reinar was really the powerful sort of Reinar decks in that form are actually more control decks, to be honest. Uh, you have Club, which is one of the most efficient weapons with the Rompy Club, which is the two cost for four, um, and it gets plus one if you've discarded a, cost, a card with six or greater. And you had some really powerful setups for in-game with like Blood Rush Bellows and, and um, Alpha Rampages and Barrage Beatdowns. So 
that deck actually could play a pretty good control plan now. Um, it just it just wasn't the way that people looked at it because of the discard elements, um, which was yeah really interesting. Awesome, yeah. So I know that in Arcan Rising, not too many things changed, but I really want to just kind of skip to Crucible because that mm-hmm. was a meta that I didn't get to play, but where Brute got very very interesting. Yeah, specifically I, Crucible added. Go ahead. I just just want to say one thing about Arcan Rising. I think we saw Runner get a little more play to an extent in Arcan Rising, and it actually didn't really get any tools. The only I would say the only you know, sort of tools that it got were Skullcap. Uh, sorry, Command and Conquer, and and maybe um, Skullcap from that format, but. It just, I think people started to understand the class a lot more as the game uh, sort of grew, which was a bit interesting. And then that leads into what you're talking about, which is Crucible of War. Yeah, a meta that I wasn't able to play very much, but I know I know the tales of the, the infamous Dash deck, um, mm-hmm. right? And I'm pretty sure the Dash deck had a little bit of a boogeyman in the format in the form of Reinar, but uh, we didn't see it too much. I know you worked on that deck, you're very passionate about the deck that was created back then that did you know quote unquote have a good matchup or counter uh the popular mech decks that were running around yeah i mean i think crucible like from so far uh right now was just at its strongest in crucible i think that um that format the way that it played out with so many people uh moving to these dash decks and uh people still playing you know a lot of uh Dorinthia, I think that right now was really well uh, positioned and even to an extent people were playing you know these um it was at the point where people were still playing a lot of defensive decks, so a lot of defense reactions were still still came to be played in decks. Um, people still hadn't quite worked out how to set up these, you know, these five cut hands or work out these um, mid 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 uh, mid game plans that sort of allowed them to cycle through decks and and have these power turns. Um, and and what Reinhardt did really well in that format was uh, basically Crucible, you know, bought you Mandible Claws, which were these really powerful weapons that allowed you to set up five cut hands and pair with Blood Rush Bellows. Um, and just do you know really powerful things and then of course you know you had that card arc smash which was pretty i know you want to talk about that when we get into it um so i'll just kind of leave that for for brennan or steelers glory but the the deck basically was something that could really punish these dash decks uh do really well against the warrior decks just because of the ability to um it was kind of weird and in, in essence i never thought that uh Dorinthia was a good matchup for Reiner, but I think the way that that deck was able to pivot by using both Romping Club and um, Claws was really interesting. And of course, you got the Gambler's Gloves in that um, in that set as well, which allowed you to actually play a bit more aggressively into some of these decks like Dorinthia. So yeah, it, just, it got a lot of tools. I mean, Beast within a really powerful card as well. Um, and we just saw, it was really weird. I, I think Reiner was so, so criminally underplayed in, in that format, um, given the fact that Dash was the most powerful, oh, sorry, the most popular um, and the most successful deck in that format um, that people weren't playing more Reiner. But I think it just, it just wasn't as clear to people how to, how to build the Reiner decks and, and what to do with it. 100%. And I want to quickly, and usually, we're going to talk about a fun fact with this one. Um, Hayden, I don't know if you're aware, but there was actually a brute that won a calling um 10-0 actually um i don't know if you've heard of this guy he was a bit he i've heard he's a bit washed up you know trying to make his way back in big 2-2 kind of drop player yeah, yeah. um i've heard you got any you got any you got any kind of lore on the history of uh that brute 10-0 yeah so may have, yeah that was me that's the washed up guy um oh wow okay yeah wow, so the, the calling that i won was a was a limited calling um I, I played brute the whole day so brute and sealed and i actually ended up uh, falling into a seat in draft which provided me a pretty good brute deck as well which then took on so yeah it was a, a you know a nice 10 run over the day for um that event with reinar and i think the the thing i actually so 
I felt like when I was playing that event um, with Reinar, like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't playing to any RNG hands, wasn't playing to these like discard hands, was trying to like stack my deck, um, had been like told a few things by some players who had played in Auckland and had been testing um, that helped me a lot. Jason, Jason Long being one of those players. Um, he actually played Brute as well on the day and we played, I think in like the second to last round, I think we were both basically locked for top eight. Um, played in a brute mirror where Jason Long uh, slapped me for I think 19 damage on turn one. <laughs> <laughs> he had a massive turn. I can't even remember the. There's a picture out there. James White like stopped the game and like took a picture of it because uh, he was. It was on the King of the Hill table. I think it was the second to last round. Um, I was X and O, and I think Jason had maybe had one loss, and um, I think I lost. I think I won the die roll. Cho- chose to go second, and then. Jason just like laid down this like massive turn and um yeah it was it was pretty epic but yeah so brute brute took it in the day um my my draft was quite strong i had two drone brutalities in my draft deck i uh, just had like a really good yeah. romping club deck that was like super efficient somebody has passed them right I, uh there's a there's a very cool video out there actually i think it's from that calling where somebody was drafting brute and passing those drone brutalities i, I think that's sasha <laughs> is it no uh, yeah i think that's from sasha's one no no yeah oh maybe, maybe there is i don't know i actually don't know no, it is it is it is sasha he does pass uh multiple journey brutality okay. i believe i did draft. not i took both the ones that came my way so i took one second pick and i took one i think i got a, like fourth or fifth pick i got a yellow and a red in that draft so yeah <laughs> i just can't believe it that's that's how you know they were old school they were just passing journey brutalities probably the quintessential pick one pack one card that has ever existed um but anyway hayden Enough of the fun facts. Uh, congratulations on your win. So far <laughs> it's only two and a half years ago now. Yeah, it's only two. But take me in how to build a deck. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so how to build how to build brutes. Um, we're going to do what we always do, which is we're gonna we're gonna start by talking through key cards in brute. And you know what? There's three three sets that have brute specific cards, uh, thanks to Monarch. So there is there is quite a bit to talk about. So we won't go into every single brute card, but um, there are some really iconic cards. There's some really important cards to all forms of brute, um, whether that be for Reiner, Ko, Olivia. Um, but we will be focusing as as usual, as per usual, mostly on classic constructed. So uh, Olivia and Reiner. But yeah, let's get into it with Welcome to Wraith, Brennan. And we're just going to go straight for the card. Uh, Scab's going to lead this. We're just going to go straight in with the equipment. Mm-hmm. So all dice rolls got to roll at every turn, and I've got to hit a six if I ever want to, you know, want to win a game. Is that correct? Definitely correct. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Sure. I, I think... just want to make sure I was understanding what you were saying. I mean, that was, I guess that was the way that you know brute was really played as people built around the scabskin um leathers initially um people were even playing to the extent where people were playing like a really heavy generic stick so and you know just utilizing scabskin leathers you know like just yep. the, the good generics right um Natcha. yes natch oh off two action points <laughs> exactly exactly um but then you know, i think you know people really sort of understand what scabskin leathers is and that's that's a tool right so the times where you want to utilize your scab skin leathers is where it's basically free or it's a really low opportunity cost. So um, if your turn would be, you know, say four, come on with a club. Uh, if if you say rolled a, a two or three on your scab skin leathers, if you roll a four or five or six, then your turn is actually coming for maybe 12. Those are the sort of turns where you're looking to utilize your scab skin leathers. Um, the other times where scab skin leathers are really useful for you is, you know, you're up against a control deck that can't pressure you on the way back. So say you did roll that one, uh, well, you know, your control opponent with five cards who's got three defense reactions in hand or two defense reactions plus two blues can only come in for four to six damage. Um, but you would have been coming yeah. in for, you know, 
16 to 20 damage if you'd hit. So that's a really key way to use it. Uh, and the other thing is that Scabskin Leathers can uh, get you out of some tight spots, right? So it's it's most important to look at this card not as you know a way to a game plan to completely build around necessarily but if you are you know you're starting to fall behind and you need to be a bit more risky with your hands you need to keep more cards and try and push back damage well you know scabs can this can be a tool to to utilize in those situations um but yeah i mean if i look at scabs can leaders in say a welcome to wraith or an arcane rising format and i was playing against an aggro deck i was probably rolling that max once per game um you know that in those matchups where you could be severely punished by rolling a one um you know to the point where i could probably lose you the game i didn't need to roll them i, I had my deck set up for those matchups um you know i was relying on a different plan but then i was playing its control on the other hand well you know this is where i can start to utilize this as a tool in this matchup so yeah scapescan is i think a really probably the, the least understood legendary initially i think we're starting to see it become a lot more understood now but but yeah interesting card mm -hmm can't deny it's uh it's incredible blocking value in that format as well huge so, huge I mean, fantastic card uh and like you said i mean the theoretical power ceiling on that card is extremely high mm -hmm. uh but very interesting as we've progressed with welcome to wraith uh to now to like where you know back then it was very very much higher risk with no gamblers gloves and nowadays it is so much a tool and it can be a bit more of a forgiving tool with those gamblers gloves but hayden i want to talk about my i'm you know, top five favorite cards, I think, in the game, and you know, sitting pretty close to number one there. It's going to be Sand Sketch Planned. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of a marquee majestic out of Welcome to Wraith. I can't see if it's a majestic or a super, but I believe it's a super. It majestic. Yeah, it was a yeah. Prince it's a is a super, super so. in Welcome to Wraith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Reinar Specialization, so unfortunately, can't play it in my Levia deck, <laughs> but a tutor where you get two action points almost on demand here. Yeah, I mean, Sandskitch Plan is a really interesting card in the fact that um, it's another one of those ones that on the surface looks like you've got to gamble to get what you need, right? But, you know, the, the beauty of this card is that it's a blue. So you can pitch this card early, you can get it back late game, and you've pitched some nice sixes either side of it. Uh, you know, that you go and find your power card, and then uh, whether that be something like an Alpha Rampage, or, you know, more, more I guess, commonly recently was Beast Within with Crucible. But even, you know, back in the day, you could weigh up that risk if you had, say, three card a four card hand you play the sand sketch plan you got three six attacks you know often it was correct to go and get uh, a setup card that wasn't a six attack and and you would uh you would make the make the gamble similar to what you do with sand sketch plan uh, sorry with um scabskin leathers in so many ways so the card is super versatile uh being a blue a card that blocks for, for defense for three and as a tutor and gets you two action points so that could really kick start some really big turns um so yeah sand sketch plan I, I love that card it's probably one of my favorite cards to be honest um yep super fun and with the addition of beast within i mean oh gosh that card is fun to play with yeah uh, but hayden speaking of specializations we do have i think one of the most iconic cards of welcome to wraith even though it's a bit underplayed uh probably but that's alpha rampage big damage you know with the inherent invasion on the card with the intimidate what was your what's kind of your opinion opinion of alpha rampage where it is today and also where it used to be yeah i think if you're playing reiner i don't think there's any reason to not be not be playing this card it pairs so well with so many of the other cards that you can play out of out of Reinar. so um you know everything from scapskin leathers even to barraging beatdowns to awakening bellows um to you know blood rush bellow like this card pairs with so many things so well uh sand sketch plan even it pairs well with uh because you can go and get sand sketch plan get the first trigger off intimidate then play your alpha rampage get two more intimidate triggers and you're leaving your opponent with you know maximum one card in hand um potentially you know really 
difficult to block Alpha Rampage. A really good finisher in that format. Uh, a really good way to push damage against control decks. Um, less, it was, I think in, in general, it's been a card that people would say is less good against the aggressive decks because of the return rate, right? It's, it's effectively three cards for, for nine damage. If you look at it as if the Intimidate doesn't matter. So the Intimidate is the really key thing about Alpha Rampage. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're using it with the Intimidate effect, not really having any impact. So you're playing against a deck that doesn't want to block anyway. Uh, you are, you know, you're paying three cards for nine damage, which is, you know, not, not a great rate for where you want to be, especially in a format, as we've seen the game, you know, slowly grow in power. Mm -hmm. And finally, I think this is the most iconic brood card in existence at the moment. The the old Blood Rush Bellow. <laughs> yeah, the Blood Rush Bellow. I mean, this like this card. It was awesome back before Crucible, and then after they printed the claws. I mean, Blood Rush Bellow claw for you know ten, and then come in with an attack after that is uh, it's pretty iconic. Yeah, I mean, for one card to be able to do that, right? So if you took it, if you take it. Um, actually, let's just start with Rhino, right? If you play this in Rhino, you're probably getting one to two Intimidates. You, like you say, if it's at the Claws, which is where you want to be, you're coming in for minimum 10 plus probably 8. So 18 damage off, you know, a four-cut hand with, with Blood Rush Bellows. So this card, really, really powerful. We've only seen it sort of grow in its, its usefulness into Levia as well. Uh, we've seen people play Claws builds. Um, you know, it is a card that can do a lot of work. But even on, you know, other weapons like uh, the Rombi Club, it's still really effective especially if you have extra action points so yeah bloodish bellow is, is um i think just such a cool build around card really i think i wonder if in the design process if this card always pitched for for two if it was always a yellow card um because i do wonder if maybe at some point maybe this was a red uh, or even a blue and it was way too powerful i'm not sure but um, i think yellow is, is just right yeah 100 percent. so in welcome to wraith there i mean there are going to be some very very you know, very iconic cards but why don't you take us into the next one yeah i just want to give a special mention to reckless swing and um savage feast i think there's a sorry and barrage and beatdown i think those three cards are, are really interesting cards that have done a lot of work especially for reiner um, but for the brute class in general you know reckless swing a really unique defense reaction that has that additional cost barrage and beatdown um is a i would say predominantly a, a reiner card because of the intimidate effect but, you know, there was definitely decks that could stack those in games of Barrage Beatdown. That was one of Reinhardt's favorite win conditions, uh, especially in, you know, Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Rising, even into Crucible format. So, yeah, I think those cards are just very strong cards that we'll continue to see as, as Brute grows. I do want to have a quick little shout out to um, my favorite draft ar archetype in the game. It's called Yellow Bellow. Um, so basically you draft a bunch of yellow-ish primeval bellows and it's freaking hilarious. You just swing the club for like eight plus every single turn. Um, it's so strong. So I remember when I went over to New Zealand, I was at Legendary Studios and we did a draft in-house. So we had James, you know, um, Jason, Chris, like all the developers and then me and Sasha and my partner at the time. Um, and I remember I didn't understand this concept of being like archetypes in the Welcome to Draft format. It was just obviously I'd pretty much never drafted us coming from north america but yeah and then james white played yellow bellow and dude, this the archetype is so strong it's so fun to play and it's it's just it's incredible uh, yeah i've won quite a few drafts of that um that archetype just taking all the yellow six attacks and taking all the primary bellows you can and yeah going to town <laughs> yeah my favorite all right crystal of war brennan yeah i mean We've we've talked about the mandible claws already, just the power of those cards, but it's they they have been so important to to brute um, as as a class, whether that be Rana, whether that be Ko, whether that be Livia. Um, 
just this effect uh, you know that you have two-handed weapons that can get go again um you know at first i think the cost look kind of restrictive but it actually works quite well into the framework of what the deck wants to do um you know say you have access to two blues on a turn generally with like a, a discard that works really well um yeah men, men because i think are probably some of my favorite weapons we've had have printed yeah i really like them with the uh the blood rush bella that combination mm -hmm. has been definitely been a joy to play with but i'm gonna let's talk about beast within yeah uh, we did mention it quickly but beast within was i think probably one of the coolest cards to come out of crucible crucible of war um just being able to discard that and get all that value of banishing and putting another card into your hand sometimes a resource card um honestly can't say no so fetching this off sand sketch you know discarding us a blood rush bellow just incredible power here yeah, and this is where some of the perceived, I guess, even even more of that randomness comes in, right? With Beast Within, it's like, okay, well, I hit the Beast Within, um, now I banish cards off the top of my deck until I find that 6 attack. Well, I've just banished 4 non attacks off the top of my deck and taking 4 damage. Um, or, you know, I've just uh, hit the red card and I needed a blue card. And, I mean, to be honest, that's that's the same as any variance when you go and draw a card. Um, I think the, the thing with Beast Within is that damage aspect, right? It needs to be managed, so... It really comes down to deck building, which I think is so important for cards like Beast Within. Um, and it's really funny. I think there's this whole thing where you would look at, if you had were really new to the game and you were building a deck, you would go, okay, I'm building a Brute. I'm going to go look at all the Brute cards. And you you probably build a deck that ends up being better than what people at the next stage would do, which is really funny, which is people at the next stage would go, oh, well, actually, I'm going to go and put all the most powerful cards into my deck. Um, and it takes away from the theme not only does it take away from the thematic aspects of the the class but it probably takes you away from like the synergistic aspects of the class which is really important for cards like beast within or uh you know blood wash bellows things like this where brute needs to manage the amount of six attacks it has in its deck and so that means it needs to manage how many like non-attacks it has in its deck as well um and when we see with livia it even has to manage how many you know blood deck cards and how many cards banished from from grave it has from its deck so um yeah beast within really falls into one of those like just i guess like classic brute cards where you look at it and you need to evaluate your you know your deck building to get the most out of it but i mean this card is is so strong it's, it's one of the most you know when i saw this card spoiled i was like so excited for brute <laughs> and remember when i opened this card i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah so excited to play brute and blitz after i saw that i mean you discard it right it's re it replaces itself so you know you don't you, you might get red you might get a yellow you might get a blue but as well if you're on the second cycle of your deck you probably know what you're getting uh you oftentimes know what you're playing towards as well so um they're just the fact it replaces itself for an effect like you know um savage feast or blood rush bellows or whatever it might be is super powerful and then just on that brand i mean you move to massacre which has a similar effect right when it's discarded it gives you a buff um which is in that case gives you the the plus two um attack and intimidate uh, sorry sorry it gives you the intimidate and if you play it it gives you the plus two attack as well plus the intimidate massacre a really interesting card so yeah i think it's it's probably one that i think has been less utilized uh because it's a red because it needs to be done off an attack action so you know hitting it off of a blood rush bellows for instance um or a primeval bellow whatever it might be or a sandsketch plan doesn't actually give you the buff um but for reiner i think especially massacre is uh very important yeah really really powerful card and also kind of like this <laughs> seems like it's like the the budget alpha rampage sometimes definitely um, as well <laughs> i think you're playing it out but i want to talk about this card arc smash so the effect is cool right we enjoy it like you know, it's a cool effect but this is i mean we look at this we kind of zoom out a bit this is the most um 
literal hate card that I think has ever been printed in Flesh and Blood. It's got a very, very obvious use to it, um, and it was very relevant in the metagame that it was printed. Yeah, definitely. It's it's when I saw this card, you know, everyone was like, I mean, this is just the dash killer, right? So dash had been dominating the arcane rising meter. I actually, you know, not even to the extent that weirdly that it was in Crucible, um, but it was doing very well. There was all, there was control decks, um, and I think a big aspect of that, as we talked about, was the fact that uh, five card uh, hand decks and things like that just hadn't quite been worked out yet, and dash was just you know efficient. You could just always do the thing that you need to do every turn. Um, and then so Arc Smash gets printed. And then, you know, the calls are Dash is dead, you know, new meta. Um, and then that doesn't quite end up being the case. But I don't think that's because of Arc Smash. I think that's just because of uh, how Brutes were built in that format. Arc Smash, very powerful card, has, you know, utility against... I've seen people play this against, you know, decks that play potions, you know, set up decks as well, um, because it does pitch for yellow. So it always, you know, it's never dead, pitches for yellow, blocks for three. Um, but that that first thing is just the you know roll a six sided dice destroy up to X uh, mechanologist items. Oh, sorry, it doesn't say that, but you know <laughs> X mechanologist. Jeez, what about uh my rusted relics and be popping that off the board? Exactly, yeah, or your time snap potions, or yeah, but super super interesting card, Arc Smash, and I expect actually you know in the future to see more utility for for Arc Smash. I think you know items are clearly something that um Alice's are going to explore in the future. Any more honorable mentions for Crucible War for Breeze by Monarch here? Yeah, the only one for me is um, Barraging Bighorn. I think that's, uh, as a yellow card, is just almost always slotted into Reinhardt decks, but actually has a lot of utility, that card. So um, it presents Go Again as a, an on-hit if the opponent isn't blocking with... It's actually funny, this is the... You know, we saw a lot of um, block by less than two non-equipment cards as we've gone through the sets. So we saw Barraging Beatdown, and then we saw, like, Barraging Bighorn, um, and then we saw Pulping as well in uh, Monarch. So really cool. I really like that effect of, like, forcing your opponent to potentially block in ways that they don't want to, especially if you're playing Reinar, where you've probably intimidated a card from their hand. You just, you throw a bit of chaos even more. So you've intimidated a random card from their hand. Could well have been a card they wanted to defend with. Now they need to defend with two cards. At least you go again. Just causes your opponent to have to do some things that that aren't aren't ideal. Like intimidate is a mechanic that's very good against good players uh, because you know good players get better at structuring their hands, structuring their turns. So if you take away cards from their hands, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult for them to to play out the lines that they want to go for. Hundred percent. As we head into Monarch, obviously we were we were provided with Levia, and Hayden will have plenty to say about that. But before we get into Levia, Hayden, let's talk about some of the brute generics here. Um, we'll talk about the weapon last. So starting out with the non-attack action, it's in attack actions. We have the the set of no blocks, right? So all the brute cards in Monarch that are generic, um, generic brute that is, do not block. So we have mm-hmm. Smash the Big Tree, Pulping, and Tear Limb from Limb. Um, pulping, I remember this is actually one of the earlier cards that spilled in Monarch. This one got me real excited. So being able to gain dominate off that discard, and then if, you know, due to the dominate's effect, or potentially due to the amount of cards your opponent is willing to block with, slash what they have in hand, um, Pulping can get go again. So very exciting card. Yeah, I really like Pulping. It's um, it's a card I was like, really keen to play with. I think the first week that Mana came out, I had a Blitz event, and I just built up a, a Reinhardt deck with, like, Pulpings, and it was basically just my old Reinhardt deck, but, like, Pulping and Tear Limb from Limb, and I just had so much fun playing it, <laughs> to be honest. It's it's really interesting, the the thematic sort of um, design aspect that LSS went with for the Brute generics to not block in this format, um, because, you know, you could say that if you're following 
you know thematically um the rest of them have defended even though they're they're generic brute cards uh, but i think it really fits in with with levia in this format um and then you see like the power level trade-off right so um and traditionally the additional cost you have at a, a two like you wouldn't get a two a two cost for six would have an additional drawback right like barrage and beat down where you have that uh discard card card so with these they are vanilla you know they've got some really nice text on there like smash the big tree <laughs> i love that card uh, and then so you trade off that extra power for for not being able to defend yeah i think pulping was one of those ones that seems like it slotted into every brute deck um as soon as it came out that wasn't a control deck which was every brute deck uh i felt like this would be really a chase card for brutes that were looking to play to play blitz after kind of week one um but hayden what do you think of the ravenous meat axe we see levia and we're going to get into levia but we see levia played quite a bit nowadays but most always without the meat axe um do you what is your kind of theoretical use case for this weapon outside of yeah i think meat axe is actually a pretty important uh use case which is the fact that it allows you to get cards into your graveyard so there are certain matchups where your opponent isn't going to so actually let's take kano for example kano uh, is not going to present physical attacks to you so you're not going to be able to block and, and get cards into your graveyard and um it's going to be a lot harder to maybe start your turn so most of the decks in the format want to be pretty attacking from their turn one or turn two maybe if they're on the the turn zero they won't uh, but from turn one they they want to be whereas you know you've got some some decks like kano uh, viscera otk which doesn't want to do that um, and that's where I think the, the Medex is kind of uh, a, a card that you might need for those matchups or if you're expecting those decks to be prevalent in the format is you need a way to start to fuel fuel your grave outside of just generic or sixes, you know, those cards that don't have um, the banishes, the additional cost. And then once you get the ball rolling, it doesn't matter too much, but if you if you don't have any, any way to start it, uh, it can be very difficult. And that's where Ravenous Medex can be um, can be really important. Awesome. So Hayden, I know this one's going to hit close to home. But uh, I've conferred with the community, and we we've decided we we've we've decided as a collective that Levia is the worst character. It's worse than Ranger. It's unplayable. You can't play it. It's absolutely terrible and constructed. Hayden, I know you definitely agree with us, and I welcome you into the Brotherhood, into the Covenant, where we believe that Levia is unplayable. So talk to me. Talk to me about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't believe that. Uh, I know, and now you got to prove me wrong. Tell me, tell me why Levy is good. Tell me why Levy is slept on. Why is this the deck that nobody's playing that more people should? I I don't know if necessarily more people should because I think Levy is actually a very difficult hero to play in in constructed. Um, but I think it's a lot. It's it's you know it's it's credit level is uh, it's not been credited with you know quite as much as it should. Livia has this you know inherent ability with the fact that blood debt stacks up and. Um, you can't play it out of banish for the most part, which is really scary, right? It's like it's like playing Kano. You start with thirty life, and and Livia has that aspect where you've got this inevitability that a thing that your opponent can play to that can really hurt you, which makes Livia more difficult to play. But you flip side that Livia has some really powerful cards and some really powerful interactions. Um, you know the ability to continuously recycle cards from your graveyard into banish and then replay them. You know whether that be cards like Deep Red Evil or um, Howl from Beyond, uh, Tome of Torment. These cards really really powerful and then alongside that you know you have attacks that are super efficiently costed with this additional effect you know you've got endless more that can you know three costs coming for nine we talked about alpha rampage being uh you know a bad rate card if you if think about it just in terms of damage well endless more is two cards for nine damage that's a lot more efficient um you got boneyard marauder which is a one for six like the the power level on these cards with that additional cost is is really strong so 
that's I think where Livia is most potent I think and um, the the more difficult thing probably for, for Livia so far has just been how these decks have been built um, I think people have tried, tried to build more setup decks I think to start with um, whereas Livia sort of just wants to hit the pedal pretty early I think and, and just go for it so I wouldn't say initially I think more people I mean more people should play it because it's super fun and it's, it's really powerful but uh, it is a it is a more difficult class to play. I would actually put Levia probably in the the top three most difficult classes to or sorry heroes to play at this point. I think in the current class constructed format. Interesting. So would your would your kind of final final conclusion there be in the people versus Hayden Dale? Levia <laughs> is very playable in the Monarch format and is actually you know actually a competitive deck. Right, you could take it to a, a calling or a road to nationals or something like this and perform well with it if provided that you had the reps, you had the practice, and you had the right build. Yeah, I mean, I think you could, you know my thoughts. I think you could take any any hero uh, and do that, even even as Alia, to be honest. If you you know if if you're better than every opponent you play, you you probably do alright. But Livia, I actually think, has the inherent power to be one of the strongest decks in the format. It's just um yeah, it's just super difficult to to play, and I think it, the builds maybe aren't quite right. It's really interesting to me though. I think you know we saw in the Devastation series like Livia get played. I know it only got one game. Um, but then we never really saw anyone adopt that deck and play it, which is quite interesting because I think probably, you know, interestingly, if, if the devs put out decks, they're probably reasonable. Um, and I know that I think Levier is one of Jason's favorites. So probably a pretty good deck list to look at if people are trying to find ideas. Um, I know Hexagore has been popular with other people as well. And, and for good reason, it's a powerful weapon. Like it has a really powerful effect. Um, and you just need to find a way to utilize it. Yeah, with Hexagore, so transition nicely into that one. But with Hexagore, what kind of builds do you see this in? Is Hexagore mostly, is it paired with kind of rolling skins a lot more? Or what is the general use case for Hexagore after, you know, Inherent Gogan, whether it be on, um, what is the Screamer, Dread Screamer? Dread Screamer, yeah. Um, yeah, so where do you see Hexagore? We don't see it much in the in the meta. If we do see Levia, you sh- it generally is with Claws, right? Um, so talk to me about Hexagore. Yeah, I mean, I think we do see a, a reasonable amount of hexagon, but I think that's the perfect use case, right, is that you want to be having two actions a turn, so what's the way to do that? Well, Dread Scream is probably the most optimal way because that also fuels your your um, banish for hexagon. If you're coming in with just hexagon, I mean, the problem there is that you're not you know, satisfying that blood deck cause that you need to for Livia. Um, so hexagon off one action is, is pretty unexciting, right? But, you know, off two actions, it's really powerful, whether it be Dread Screamer, um, I mean, it does cost you three cards at the end of the day for 12, so it's actually not quite as good as you might think. Uh, but, you know, with something like a Scavskin Leathers and you get to come in with maybe something like a Boneyard Mortar plus a Hexagore off, off, you know, a blue, that's two cards for, for 12 damage. That's that's pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, I think my my kind of challenge with Hexagore, I guess, is just the, first of all, getting it up to speed, so getting it to not be dealing you damage and then also being able to utilize it while... It not hurting you too much but i actually think you don't need to be attacking with a hexagore every single turn uh but when you do it can be it can be a really powerful weapon so yeah i think hexagore is is good i mean it's majestic for a reason i wonder if it's interesting with like primeval bella um so coming in for 11 off of you know just uh the pitch for two but then the discard the discard obviously but pretty decent rate to get to 11 right yeah but then you've got a you've if you're coming in for six you've presumably got six blood deck cards in your in your banish zone like how are you you don't satisfy yeah so that's that's the tough thing right (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's i think it's a more complicated weapon than it looks like on uh at first glance and funny little anecdote here i actually lost a pre-release to an opponent playing hex score and uh i'd I'd kind of brought it up. It was like, "Hey, I think it does damage to you," and he was like, "No, it does damage to you." And I was like, 
And in my infinite wisdom, I was like, okay, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so he just swung Hexagore at me every single turn for six, didn't take any damage, and just blocked out his entire hand except for one card. Yeah, didn't win that one. Turned, I thought I was like, dude, was I went through this... Um, yeah, I went through this phase of just absolute depression for like two hours where I was like, damn, they printed the this card is so broken. They ruined the game. Like the limited format is just, it's t- this is like, this is 10 times worse than induction chamber. <laughs> and then he came up to me like towards the end of the event. He was like, hey, I actually read it wrong. And I was like, I'm not even mad. I'm just happy. I'm overjoyed that, you know, design has prevailed and we don't have this broken card. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you're going to pre-release for Tales of Aria, especially in Vegas, make sure you read the cards. Yeah, Brennan's going to read crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I, and if you if you're playing against me in Vegas, the Tales of Aria world premiere, make you can you can tell me whatever you want on your card. I'll probably believe you, and even if I read it twenty times, I'll probably still believe you because I'm a potato. Well, the problem potato. is you didn't know how to read, right? But now you do, so hopefully we'll be okay. That's quite an assumption, sir. Um, <laughs> that's... And let's talk about one of your your more favorite cards out of this set or for Levy, and I think that's going to be Shadow Blasphemy. Yeah, let's uh, Shadow Blasphemy. Tough a couple of cards and, and move on. Yeah, Shadow Blasphemy. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? You no, no anecdotes on it? I mean, what do you usually fetch with it? I mean, what it, what do you, Shadow Blasphemy has a more interesting piece to it. It has a part two, right? Like you play <laughs> the card, you successfully discard. What are you grabbing a Shadow Blasphemy usually? Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> I, I really like this card. I think it's, um, I think it might be the best tutor we have in terms of if you just look at the power level of tutors in, in this game. Um, you know, a six attack, so it's a walking tutor effectively, right? Six attack. Um, you do have that clause you have to fulfill, so the discard a six attack, but I don't think that's overly difficult if the deck's built correctly, um, or if you're on your second cycle, it's you know you can always guarantee it. Um, what am I finding? So it depends on the situation. You know, sometimes I would think that deeper evil is a is a reasonable find uh, to just fulfill. You know, your blood debt. Uh, then you have a six attack that you can play on a future turn with alongside a banish off two actions. Um, I would say like Tome of Torment is a card that I get reasonably often with uh, with Livia, um, either if I have the actions that turn or to set up for, for a future turn. Um, How is also a, a card I like to go and get as well uh, for the same reasons. Either I might have something like a Boneyard Mortar to play afterwards if I have two actions or I will just set it up for a future turn. Uh, and then actually I, I actually get Mutated Mass a reasonable amount of time. Um, there's these big turns that involve Shadow Blasma Fit often in Claws builds where you can, you know, like if you have two actions, um, you're like Shadow into Claw into like a Mutated Mass for six is, is like really strong. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the cool thing about it, right, is that you, you have lots of different options. It's pretty, pretty toolboxy. Mm-hmm. And do you have any other Majestics or Supers out of the set that uh, pique your interest? I think the one card I just wanted to mention is I think Graveling Growl is a pretty pretty underrated card. I think that um, there's a lot of things you can do with that card. You know, at red, one for seven. Yeah, it does require that setup, but there's a lot of ways for you to be banishing during your turn. Uh, it's the it's a perfect card to be playing after a Dread Screamer, for instance. Um, again, goes back to that, you know, three-card hand for, for 13 damage. It's, you know, it's pretty good off a, a Dread Screamer into a Graveling Growl off a blue. So, yeah, lots of, lots of things I think you can do with that card, and it's probably a little bit, maybe a little bit underutilized at the moment. I feel like that card is nuts. <laughs> I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like that card is absolutely crazy. Like even off an unworldly bellow, if you don't have it, like if your graveyard isn't super saturated, which happens sometimes when you're playing Levia, like you may only have like the three to five and you banish with unworldly bellow and you're able to come in for that 11 damage or something. Um, but like you said, obviously off a of Dread Screamer, it's just, I mean, it's icy on the cake. It's one of the best combos, I think, out of uh, out of the you know these Monarch cards in Levia. Yep. Anyway, yep. head and no. 
Any other cards you want to talk about before we move on? I think we can move on and we'll talk a little bit more about Livia as we, we get into the, the how to play. Awesome. So let's let's go into it. So how do we play it, Hayden? How do we play Reinar, Levia, and sometimes Kea? Yeah, just thinking back if there's any of, I guess, archetypes that we haven't really talked about. I mean, we haven't really talked about KO that much. Um, I guess if you look at, I might just try and tie that together now. If you're looking at the Blitz format, um, KO really is, I guess, about power. Uh, so, you know, I guess the more turns that go by for KO, the more chances it has to you know, get these big attacks. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if you, you have a couple of uh, strong rolls on turn one or turn two, you can actually just blow your opponents out pretty quickly. KO has some really strong uh, tools to attack with. You know, you can build these decks that are, Slightly more mid-rangey, but with really strong, just good six powers like Commander Conquer, for instance, which even if it gets halved and attack, your opponent still needs to respect it and block it, otherwise they're going to lose their arsenal. You know, just, just cards like this. So uh, KO, I think, very interesting in that format. It has some some tools from um, from Monarch that are worth worth looking at. You know, Smash Big Tree, for instance, is a, a two cost for seven. Uh, that, you know, could be a 14 attack. Tailing from Lim. <laughs> Tailing from Lim, for sure. Yeah, really cool combo there, obviously, with being able to double the power um it's funny i actually think i actually this may be a very casual viewpoint enemy here but i feel like ko was um ko was designed and printed for fun in mind yeah. and designed and printed for a casual obviously blitz is a casual format but i think that ko's design is more on like the pure fun side of things rather than you know is this you know do we need to work out for a while like is there like a very very competitive deck here or is this a deck that you you just have fun on I think it's for those players who played Reinar and played it as an RNG hero, right? Like that's actually what I think it in essence is really a lot of it is about is that um, it's almost like you have the, the brute that a lot of people thought Reinar was and you have KO for Blitz. That's kind of, yeah, I think that's to a big extent what it is. Awesome. Well, Hayden, talk to me about how to structure turns. Um, you could structure it as, you know, Levia and Reinar. Yeah, brutes have some very similar ways, whether it be Livia or, um, or Reinar to structure the turns. It's going to depend on the type of deck that you're playing. So whether you're playing uh, maybe, you know, like a, a Claws build that's a lot more five-card setup, whether you're playing a Romping Club build that's a lot more sort of grindy and mid-rangey that wants to um, actually pitch the deck and, and find, like, good, like, Alpha Rampage turns, maybe a Bright and Big Down turns. Or similarly for, for Levia, you know, um, with maybe, you know, starting that, that graveyard um, pretty early and then just going for it with, like, really strong attacks. So There's a few different ways to play it, right? So it will depend, but um one of the things that uh you know the things that you really have to consider right there's a few considerations when how to play and structure these turns is how will you pay for additional costs so example your discards so if you're uh it's the start of the turn cycle you're defending against your opponent uh, when you're planning out how to play your hand on your turn you know you've got to really consider these additional costs and the trade-off that you're making so if you look at right now for example you know that that additional discard is uh, potentially a card that you could have defended with so and what's the trade-off cost there? Are you better off maybe in this turn blocking with the action card that you want to play plus the additional cost that you're probably going to have to play and then just use the pitch card to come in with your club, for instance. So all these sort of trade-offs you have to consider. And it's the same with um, same with Levia, right? Like your the cards in your graveyard are like a, a utility, right? So if you start banishing those like what does your graveyard look like? So if you're like, you know, I'm going to come with a Dread Screamer this turn and then I've got, I don't know, Hexagore to follow it up. Well, I look at my graveyard and I've got, you know, three six attacks. And I've got nine non-six attacks. Is that Dread Screamer really going to trigger right here? So you need to start considering things like that. So the additional costs are a really important consideration for Brutes. Um, with a lot of the builds, you know, you might be looking to find these important five-card hands with cards like Blood Rush Bellow, Art of War, for instance, and Livia, Alpha Rampage with Reiner. Uh, maybe you're trying to set up multiple Barrage and Beatdowns. So 
you need to consider are you going to be looking to pitch to set up big turns or are you just looking to use your arsenal to set up big turns um but i think the main sort of they're one of the most keys that or one of the most key things that brute i think teaches players and as you play that class more is that five card hands aren't created equal you know one five card hand compared to another five card hand could be completely different especially when you start factoring in all the additional costs uh the need for action points you could have a, a bloodwash bellows hand that has you know uh one blue and like three red six attacks uh versus maybe one that has uh you know beast within um has multiple yellows that are going to enable you to fuel your turn uh with extra resources if you draw into more reds so yeah, not, not all five-card hands are created equal, and I think that's something that people sort of need to weigh up. One of the, I think, the traps you can fall into, right, is that I'm playing Brute. I'm setting up a Blood Rush Ballow turn. I put it into Arsenal. I draw my next hand. I've got a blue, and I've got two, two six attacks. Yeah, I'm going to go for it, like, immediately, whereas it might not be might not be the right hand or it might not be the, even the right turn to do it. Yeah, I think that Brute teaches players uh, very fundamental concepts of the game as well, which is setting up you know, kind of setting up five-card hands, setting up big turns rather than just playing hand-to-hand. Because if you do play your kind of four-card hand to four-card hand, um, or even just don't consider the threat density that's left in your deck and what you're actually playing towards, um, and then obviously the level pass as well, it's like you cycle back to your deck and play to those outs, mm-hmm. uh, you're just gonna, you're just not going to have a good time on Brute. That's, I think, one of the pillars that makes Brute a more complicated class is that its four-card hands are, you know, decently underwhelming most of the time, where its five-card hands can be absolutely devastating. Yeah, and your your game plans aren't actually that linear, to be honest, because you have, um, especially with Reinar, actually, you have, uh, whether it be like a club or claws, so with club, probably a bit more grindy with claws, a bit more set up, but you also have um, things like Barrage and Beatdown, right, where uh, that card in multiples basically is, is like a power turn, right? Your opponent can't do anything about it because you intimidate, but in, in like as a single copy of Barrage and Beatdown, uh, that card can actually be effective to draw cards out of your opponent's hand. So you're making these decisions about what you need your cards to do in every matchup, and, and they actually need to do different things in certain matchups. So, you know, the Barrage Beat Down, I think, is a perfect example. Against aggressive decks, you want that to be like pulling cards from your opponent's hand, stopping them from being able to play five-card hands and powerful hands. Um, and against, you know, control decks, probably, what you want that to be doing is you don't you don't want to be pulling cards from their hand because that's what they want to do. They want to block. You actually want that to be taking cards that they want to defend with out of their hand so stacking those with multiple intimidates is like where it's really important so yeah there's just a lot of i think flexibility is the really key thing with um with brutes especially with with reiner and it's uh it's a lot it really comes down to how you play the game yeah cool um next sort of thing to to consider when we're thinking about playing out turns yeah so this is five card hands but then also, you've got the the classic game state, which is like winning turn cycles, which can be really important for brutes as well. Whether that actually be Levy or Runner, both of those are really classes that um, are happy to win a turn cycle, especially for Levy early on. So that really comes down to just getting the best net damage out of your hands. Whether that's um, say blocking with three cards and then pitching a yellow to come with Romping Club for four, so that's thirteen damage, right? So. If you're blocking out nine for your opponent's turn, coming in for four, uh, you're probably going to win that turn cycle unless your opponent has a really big turn. And you're you're looking to get either you know closer to your your the right five card hands as we talk about, or you're getting closer to pitching and setting up your deck, or with Levia, you know you're filling up your grave, uh, ready to start or maybe start you know hitting the gas pedal next turn. So playing this sort of classic winner turn cycle is actually uh, something that Brute does very well, and because of of uh, the weapons, um, and also the fact that just basically all your cards block for three um 
little bit less so with Levia now, obviously, in the format, but with, with traditional brute, brute decks. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to say, you know, the, like the way to play it, if we talk about how to structure turns, it's not an RNG class. <laughs> if you are relying purely on RNG, uh, you're going to find yourself in, in trouble. Like we said, scab skins is a, like a really important tool and something to really manage. Um, but you can, you know, you can lose a lot with it if you're not careful. But if you are in a position where, you know, it's really low risk to use it, so um, the upside is heavily outweighs the the downside um or the the opportunity cost is really low so the turn you're going to have just wouldn't impact the the game state because maybe your opponent can just block with one card and probably still do the thing that they were going to do anyway that's those those are the times where scabskin becomes like a really important tool um, and it's actually the same with discards right if you have built your deck the right way then the random discards are, aren't going to punish you as much so you're not going to find that uh, you draw these awkward hands that just don't have enough six attacks in them because you know you've you've built the, the deck right. So um, you know on the first cycle you're going to just on average draw a better number of six attacks, and then on the on the on the um, on the second cycle of the deck, you know you've pitched yellow cards, you've pitched Ricker romps, things like that. So your deck's still going to have these six attacks in them. So that's yeah, deck building is really important with brute. Um, and to be honest, it's important with every class. I think it's just a lot more. Uh, it's just a lot more obvious with with the brute because you have these really clear constraints about the cards that you need to find. Um, whereas maybe you know, if you take a class like Dorinthia, you can you can misbuild that to not have the right number of non attacks um, or right number of resources, but you can kind of get away with it a little bit. Uh, it doesn't punish you as much. You can still do things with your turn, still play powerful hands out. Any thoughts, Brendan? Before we move on to sort of more, I guess, um, macro strategies of the decks. Yeah, I mean, let's let's sort of iterate and expand upon in brevity how the deck actually plays out. Yeah, okay. So in almost every single build, um, your pitch is going to be very important because you will often cycle through, um, and you will also, also often cycle through faster than a lot of other decks in the format because, you know, you're doing things like drawing and discarding, you've got Bloodish Bellow, you're um, utilizing your, your hands a lot more to either block and then come back. Uh, so you'll see that, you know you you can get through your second cycle generally quicker than a lot of um other core decks you know obviously things like chain and stuff now those can really get through the deck but um yeah so the how you pitch your deck is often going to be super important actually even to the extent with uh, i didn't think this as much with levia but actually in a lot of matchups with levia this is also super important especially against decks where uh, maybe you're sort of bringing some defense reactions or you're playing a bit more of a um you know, present attacks and defend a bit, and then you're probably going to come back through your second cycle against decks like Guardian, for instance. I think it's still super key. We already talked about flexibility, right, Brennan? And and that's one of the, I think, the key words that I really associate with the Brute class is that you have flexibility in ways that you can win the game. Um, but you do have a limited amount of damage in basically every Brute deck. So I think about cards like Barrage and Beatdown. The more of those you burn through in a Reinar deck or Blood Rush Bellows, that's a lot of damage going from your deck. Um, if you're out of Alpha Rampages, Barrage and Beatdowns and Blood Rush Bellows, and your opponent knows about it, you're going to find it very difficult to find enough damage to, to win that game, right? Yeah, I mean, 100%. We talked about this um, a little bit before, but Barrage and Beatdowns is really interesting because, I mean, probably technically incorrect to say exponentially better, but you know, if you're playing against a, a control deck or a deck that you know, would be okay with blocking with you, getting down to where they only have that one card in hand is is pretty good um and barraging beat down outside of that is actually kind of bad sometimes whereas if you if you're playing against uh, an aggro deck or a deck that doesn't want to block you at all wants to play five card hands just playing one barraging beat down sometimes and throwing it on a weapon or on an attack and forcing them to throw two cards in front of it can be a really useful to- tool for slowing down some of those faster decks 
Yeah. And that's, that's where the flexibility keyword comes in, I think, right? And, and the adaptability is that your your cards are going to do different things in, in different matchups. And, and Intimidate is sometimes going to be really important and in other times it's not going to be important. Um, but the way you can use Intimidate to be important is in different ways. So like you say, if it begins to control deck, like intimidating every card of the hand is like super impactful because every card in there the hand wants to be defensive and so you're saying okay you, you can't execute the game plan you want to execute and then on the flip side against aggro decks you're saying okay well i'm just going to intimidate a random card from your hand and now i'm going to present you with eight damage with a red barraging beatdown and a, a club off two cards and if you don't block with two cards then you know i'm getting a really good return rate on my damage which is probably going to be close to helping me keep up with you and if you do block well hopefully i intimidated the card that you would have preferred to have blocked with um so yeah, it's it's a really interesting how you use Intimidate. You've just got to kind of think about that, and it depends on the matchup. Um, but there is certainly, I just want to go back to, there's a limited amount of damage in these decks. Um, you know, maybe Levy has a, a bit more uh, with power cards, but if you've if you've played some longer games with Levy, you'll probably see as well, there, there really is a limited amount of damage in that deck as well. You run out of Art of Wars, Dread Screamers, Splutterish Bellow, uh, can certainly make it difficult. 100%. So, yeah. And to, to kind of culminate all of that and tie all up, um, just in the brief points, how do we how do we ultimately win with Brute? We know the five card hands, we know the Intimidate, we have the Evasion on the deck, um, but ultimately, how do these decks kind of end up closing out the game? Yeah, well, we we, we know, Brennan, you just roll scabs can leave us and you hit the six. Yeah, absolutely not. And Levy is also unplayably bad. There's so many there's so many things that are commonly believed uh, by a lot of tropes. people that are not incorrect. So. Yeah, how do we with Brute? So uh, the biggest thing, so I'm just going to go back to that keyword, which is like flexibility. So the best the best way to win with Brute is to identify the weakness of the opposing hero um, and look to adapt your game plan to that. So this is where, like, especially in Class Constructed, your 80 cards really comes into play, um, but also just the adaptability of your cards that are probably in your core deck, you know, like a Brajan Beatdown, like some of your six attacks. So, you know, um, you're looking to work out what your opponent's trying to do. So... We already talked about like using Intimidate versus aggressive decks versus, versus using Intimidate against control decks, but that can sort of uh, branch out to the weapons as well. So Romping Club, for instance, can be a really fantastic weapon against the the more um, you know aggressive decks, the decks that where the game plan um, might be to sort of like grind a little bit more, be you know like get cards and blocking, come in with a club, um, try and get them into the mid game so you can take over with you know a couple of really powerful hands, give yourself some time. Whereas versus, you know, the maybe like these more setup based decks. So you're playing against a five card hand deck or you're playing against a control deck where like mandible claws, for instance, could be the way to go because you you know you get to go wider, you get to set up bigger five card turns, you get to set up more damage in your turns. Um, that can be really important. So yeah, you're really looking to understand what your opponent's trying to do and then adapt your game plan for that. The the one thing, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in sort of our strengths and weaknesses section, but Brute is really good at being in the middle like it can really play really well in the middle and sort of step by the side of the line it, what it doesn't do well is be like the extreme so it's never going to be the best aggressive deck and it's never going to be the best control deck um, so you want to play to your strengths in the middle and just step to either side of the line depending on how you're targeting the opposing hero um yeah and along that lines you want to play to actively disrupt your opponent's plans as well so that's what makes intimidate so strong is that because it does disrupt your opponent um, you know they can't defend optimally um, you get to put damage in that you know maybe they do need to block some of it but then they they can't do it in the way they want to uh yeah i think we've we've talked about this enough um but the other i guess where that does line up as well in terms of disrupting your opponent is if on the second cycle you know if you are watching what your opponent's doing through the first cycle and you know what sort of turns they're trying to set up into the late game especially if you're playing quite defensive on the first cycle uh let's take like dorinthia for example 
if they're setting up, you know, uh, Iron Song Determination plus Steel Blade Supremacy turn. Okay, well, uh, how how can you maybe disrupt that on the second cycle? Is it to the turn before they do that, find a, um, a hand that intimidates, you know, most of their cards so that they can't block out and then back-to-back take damage on their turns? Um, yeah, things like this, which are really important. And then just, mm-hmm. you know, thirdly is managing that perceived, like, RNG, all those random aspects the class. The class has powerful cards and effects, and there is certainly, you know, some additional costs or some some downsides to those and it's really about managing those um using that sort of i guess rng aspects as a tool not you know not a clutch to lean on if you play yep. to the rng and just try and high roll um you're going to lose so many winnable matches that you you could have with the brute um because you just chose not to play flesh and blood effectively yeah and i'm going to lead us off heading into the you know our patent and strengths and weaknesses here so i think you've heard it both said literally and emulated through many concepts, the Brute is a flexible class. It can heavily adapt to its opponent, but it can also enforce its own game plan. Um, brute, you know, some sometimes it forces the opponent to interact, and sometimes it forces, forces the opponent to not interact through things like Intimidate. It's really, really strong. I think the Brute is also kind of unique in the way it's able to speed up and change its, you know, its plan during the game. Mm, yeah. um, it can be a deck that... You know, it can put out a lot of damage in the early game and sometimes in the mid game, but it can also set up for, you know, set up a very, very nice second cycle through the deck, whether that's through, you know, Bloodish Bellows, multiple Bloodish Bellows, um, and things like this. So Brute is just really flexible and very dynamic into what, you know, what the opponent is doing, which makes it a very strong deck and a very interesting and intriguing deck for higher skill players to hop on. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, what next, Brennan? I guess, you know, we talked about Scabskin Leathers, and that is that is the strength of this deck. It's a great tool, but it's not a crutch. It's something to master. And, you know, when you're used correctly, it can just be one of the strongest legendary equipments in this game. Um, you know, you've got the impact of Gambler's Gloves, uh, which we actually didn't really talk about too much in, in this, um, this deep dive, but Gambler's Gloves coming with Crucible of War is like a really interesting sort of addition to the Scabskin Leathers. It's, um, you know... A card that helps you, I would say it helps augment the use of Scavskin Leathers. It doesn't mean that you just, you know, oh, I can go to the bank from turn one because I have the Scavskin Leathers as a backup plan. Although I do actually think in certain matchups that that strategy is viable is to be really aggressive with your Scavskin Leathers early on because of, because of Gambler's Gloves. But in general, uh, what you're going to find that it's used for is to um, help you with like key turns. So, you know, maybe I want to, um, you know, it's still trading off that cost versus, um, you know, the benefits. So, Okay, uh, I have a turn where Scavskin Leathers uh, could benefit me here. Okay, I roll the one, but you know what? I'm only losing four damage. There's no point in re-rolling that, right? But, okay, I come to the, the mid-game. Um, I have a 20 damage turn here that's going to, like, it's a, my pivot turn. It's really going to put all the emphasis on myself, and um, it's going to push my opponent probably close to being out of the game. Uh, I need to Scavskins to get the extra action. That's when Gambler's Gloves can be, like, super important to you. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about Intimidate being very hard to play around. Obviously, it is a random, kind of a random um, banish for that part of the turn on your opponent's end. Um, but I think the more interesting use case with this is when you when you do it against a deck that's either aggressive or trying to play a five-card hand, um, and you do make them block with two cards to be able to block an attack that's coming in for a lot of damage at a very reduced rate, which is what um, Barraging Beatdown will do. So, you know, attacking a you know a katsu deck or a chain deck um and forcing them to put two cards in front of it when they would be usually okay with taking some damage and um you know, kind of eating that attack you make you know them kind of dance with the question of you know how worth it and how much damage am i willing to take to preserve the, the integrity of this five card hand 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, intimidate. That's one of the biggest strengths of of. Um, oh, sorry, you said intimidate. <laughs> the last one I'm going to talk about, Brendan, is uh, in terms of strength, is like the weapons you have at your disposal. So, um, I think actually I, I should check this, but brute in essence should have the most weapons right now, right? Between uh, you got so you got you got the medax, you've got the hexagon that have just come in, you've got the um, robin club and the mandible claws. So four four different options of weapons if you're i guess playing livia um three if you're playing does warrior maybe because hatchet of body hatchet of mine are two different weapons oh i'm counting them as one uh, yeah. i'm just counting them as one because i count the manual calls as one <laughs> uh cheeky plus centauri but they got centauri sabers raiden and so yeah. they're similar as well but but yeah so there is you've got a bit of a war chest of weapons um regardless of, of what brute you're playing and if you're playing levia you know you've got a lot of options at your disposal there and and there's probably cases i wouldn't be surprised to see where brute wants to play more than uh you know one weapon i've definitely in crucible was playing both mandel calls and romping club for different matchups and i wouldn't you know wouldn't be surprised if we see Livia's playing medex uh for those matchups where you can't fill your graveyard for instance as an, an option alongside maybe like the hexagore as their key weapon or the mandel claws so yeah for sure and heading into the weaknesses i know that we have uh you know, we have kind of tried to dispel some of the, the misbeliefs around the RNG with the class, but there is RNG. Um, I think it's important to keep in mind that every class in Flesh and Blood does have RNG to an extent. And the reason why the perception is disproportionate to the actual amount uh, when it comes to Brutus because it's just way more apparent, right? You can look at Scabskin Leathers and you can say, oh, I have to roll, you know, X amount to make it decent and I can low roll in this this way. This exists in other classes as well. In Katsu, you know, that may be not drawing your combo pieces, and in Chain, that's drawing a full hand of non-attack actions um, or something like that. There are plenty of other instances of RNG, but in Brute, it's just way more apparent. It's, like, literally printed on the card. But that being said, Brute, at the end of the day, is can be a lower variance class, and you can drastically reduce that, you know, so-called RNG. Yeah, I would actually even turn this point into the fact that one of the weaknesses of Brute is that it's actually very difficult to, to play. Um, and to control that RNG aspect, because you know, take that Katsu example for instance. If you don't draw your combo piece, or you you know you draw a, a quad red hand, you know draw draw no blows, and you can't Kadachi, then you know that's that's the variance that your deck has given you on the first cycle. With Brute, a lot of the the variance can actually be controlled, so you can actually you know be actively setting up your hands to make sure that you have you know your six attacks, or you have the cards, um, the right card in the, in the arsenal at the right time, and so. You know, a lot of games can feel like oh, I just got so unlucky. But if you if you look at it, you know, you go, well, actually, if I had um, kept that six attack here, or I'd arsenal that card differently, or I hadn't arsenal this card that required an additional cost in my arsenal. There's all these different things that come into consideration. So, I think the the difficult thing for brooders and one of the weaknesses is just the, the difficulty to structure the turns to get the most out of the deck. And I think that's even more so true with um, with Levia, to be honest, because of that extra that extra zone you have to manage as well. Hundred percent, and I think uh, an important thing to talk about, Brute, is that your deck often does have a certain amount of power cards. These are things like Blood Rush Bellow, Alpha Rampage, Red Screamers, Barraging Beatdowns, etc. And you can go through a game and you know, expend a decent amount of these and kind of come up with a very, very weak deck as you get closer to your second cycle, or even play your second cycle. Um, this is apparent in a lot of other decks, but in Brute, um, you can really feel like you have a wet noodle sometimes as you head into the you know the mid to late and the late game yeah yeah definitely yeah it's weird like with dicks like katsu for instance when you run out of damage you like you run out of damage right like you run out of reds and that's kind of that's kind of the game um unless kadachis can carry you through because your opponent's on a low life total it's like if you get to 
10, 12 damage and um, you're with Brute and you've run out of your power cards. The problem is, is you don't have ways to like set up more than 12 damage a turn usually. And that's uh, that's what you need in order to, to finish off games, right? Um, that's why I think actually a card like Reckless Swing, you know, the defense reaction could be a reasonable win condition. Um, yeah, weaknesses, Brennan, just wanted to tie up. Um, we kind of talked about these already with the you don't ex excel at any one particular game plan amazingly. So you're never going to be the best acro deck. You're never going to be the best control deck. Um, that is definitely a weakness, right? Like, so if you're in a format that's, uh, you know, the better decks are going to be really polarizing. It can be really difficult for you um, because, you you know, it's, you find a struggle to to play on a, a field where you need to be on either end of the spectrum. Um, and, you know, the deck building side of it. Uh, so it only takes a few sort of, I guess, um, choices in the deck to skew uh, the deck from what it needs to be. The ability to pay for those additional costs, the ability to have enough six attacks, things like that. Um, and the deck can really go off the rails. So I think that's uh, that's a you know, bit of a weakness of the deck as well, or the, the class. 100%. So Hayden, let's uh, let's breeze through our matchups. I know Brute's a little bit more complicated. I think we're going to kind of ignore KO for this one. So coming into, let's just, you know, just class constructed here, Levia and Reiner. Maybe with some anecdotes about Blitz. Let's get into it. Yep, let's go through it. So, uh, you know, Reiner, we talk about mirrors. Um, the mirrors are a bit interesting. This is probably the one match where some of the RNG does come into it a little bit. Um, maybe more so with Levia. I think with with um, the traditional Reiner decks, you are looking to just like set up, um, play pretty aggressively, get your turns going. Um, this is where the five card builds, though, do tend to, to play better. Talk about Dorinthia. Um, this is a pretty timeless matchup, to be honest. You know, I played a lot of Dorinthia versus Reiner or Brute in um, Welcome to Wraith. It can be a real back and forth. It's actually, I think, gone between, you know, being like really heavily Dorinthia favored, being Reiner favored, being close matchup. Um, and I think the play style and the cards available have really come into that. I think with Crucible, uh, the, the, the like the styles of deck that were being played, um, I think Brute had sort of the upper hand uh, quite interestingly. Not sure where it maybe sits now. I think in general, though, if you've you've got your deck built as a as a brute to have some number of defense reactions, um, to be willing to you know be patient into the mid game. Mid game is often where brute like does its thing, right? So you you know early game, um, you maybe need to be like either setting up a card in arsenal or setting up the bottom of your deck. Uh, once you get through into the mid game, that's when you can really sort of pay dividends. And if you've set up your deck correctly, the, the start of the late game can be really key for you as well. Um, and I think no more so than in Dorinthia. You know, you need to manage their their damage um, and then look to you know, maybe use Barrage and Beatdowns like we talked about to draw some cards out of their hand um, and maybe get through to, to mid game with some Bellas turns, etc. Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the ways you can play, for instance, Reinar into this matchup as well is you can actually uh, play like that aggressive Scabskins plan for early damage and then look to manage the game from there. So... You know, maybe you go really heavy on the Scabskins, turn one, two, and three. Um, look to push damage. Maybe that ends up breaking your Gambles Gloves. And then from there, you're looking to just manage the game out, take your life lead into the mid and late game and, and see it through. 100%. And for the little bit of Blitz anecdotes we will have, we do have to always talk about Ira, um, a very, very popular deck in Blitz right now. And probably until that deck does you know, head into the Living legend status. But Rhino versus Ira... It's actually a pretty interesting matchup because I don't think it's uh, I, mean, I don't think it's incredibly favored for Ira. I definitely think that Ira is favored, um, but I feel like this match kind of centers around effective Blood Rush Bella turns. Um, yeah, as well as I mean, in Blitz, it's really interesting how quickly you can play to that reckless swing endgame as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, if we talk about Rhino specifically, Blood Rush Bellow is really key in, in the Iron Man. Uh, for Olivia, I think you know you've got a bit more play to it because you're you can deal. Uh, I think. 
more damage in the sort of start to early to mid game just by like sort of snowballing your turns but the thing that ira does well right is really take over from the mid to late game with you know their sigils with the defense reactions just with the kadachi chips so um that's where that game needs to be played is in the early to mid game 100 percent, and heading into you know someone that's very very close to my heart mr kano uh yeah so for kano this is a really really tough matchup um, both in Blitz, and I would assume that this concept also extends into Classic Construct to the same extent, is that as Reinar, as soon as you kind of play, I mean, I'm not sure about Levia here, but as Reinar, as soon as you play your first card, you do, the Kano really has to make a decision. As soon as that first Intimidate comes out, they have to decide whether they're going to do something um, on that turn and try to punish you, or they're just going to kind of take it all and let the cards fall while they fall. Um, and that's really hard as Kano. Kano is a deck that operates 100% off of information. The more that they have, the more they can do. Um, it's all about risk management on that deck. So Reinar mm-hmm. just kind of throws that out the window and then makes you make that with the first card that plots onto the table, which is sometimes Barrage should beat down and that's just one card from hand or one card from Marcel, nothing else. So pre- presenting an immense, immense amount of unknown information to the Kano player and threatening so many different uh, decision trees and play lines that could possibly happen. Yeah, the Skullhorn, I think, is really key for that in terms of having that Arcane Barrier 2 on a headpiece, um, which is, you know, the headpiece isn't really important for Brute anyway, so that's really helpful. I would say that, uh, to be honest, like Reinar versus Kano, whether it be Blitz or CC, I think um, Kanos have gotten a lot better at playing this matchup, and it's not, you know, it used to be, like, as a Kano player, you like didn't want to see Reinar in Class Constructed. I think that's less of a case, and even in Blitz, I remember from testing for the Blitz calling um, uh, with, you know, with some of my friends that, it didn't end up being as bad a matchup as maybe we thought. Um, I, I still thought that Rhino was favored, but I know I had, I had Kano playing friends that thought like Kano was favored. Um, so really interesting. And then I think Livia actually has a tough time into to Kano, to be honest, because you don't have that intimidate factor, um, <laughs> literally. Uh, so it's a lot easier to play into um, just the raw damage of, of Livia decks, uh, which is, and you know, you're not blocking as well. You're not helping them fill that grave from turn one. Uh, sorry, not playing um, actions for them to block. So yeah, really interesting. Going to Bravo, you know, another classic matchup alongside Dorinthia from Welcome to Wraith. Uh, usually it's it's been sort of Bravo favored to 50-50. Um, if the Bra- one of the, I think the toughest thing for Brutes, right, is that Bravo um, can switch between, you know, that sort of more defensive deck and a more aggressive deck, and that's really, or, you know, more proactive deck, which is really difficult for Brutes to deal with uh, because, you know, Brute can come in with, you know, their big crush effects, and then you're having to find um, defensive turns, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to set up your, your turn or come in with attacks, and they're more than happy to block it out. They can get a defense reaction to Arsenal. Um, they just they transition a bit better than you. Uh, it's really hard if you're trying to play like a mandible cause plan or like a blood rush bellow plan to have defense reactions in because it's just you know it's less six attacks. Whereas they don't really have those constraints that you do around sort of some of the the, the deck building. Um, so yeah, it, it can be it can be quite a tough matchup, especially if the the Bravo player knows what they're doing. Um, you really need to sort of sort of uh I guess try and get ahead in the the early game a bit. Um, sort of <clears throat> prevent those big crush effects protect your life and then find your your setup turns and try and have them line up against um, turns where your opponent isn't trying to crush you. Mm-hmm. And on to Azalea. So Azalea is actually pretty interesting into Reinar. Um, Azalea doesn't care too much about Intimidate. They're also able to play on fewer card hands a lot better than yeah. a lot of heroes. Um, Azalea specifically, we'll see how the, the future Ranger does, but Azalea able to threaten some serious on-hit triggers and some decent damage usually out of two cards and then off of three cards that can have, you know, kind of a full-blown turn on you. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I didn't really like playing this matchup as a Reinar for the Azalea player was, you know, was good and knew what they're doing. It could be could be quite tough. Um, and I think 
I think Olivia has a better matchup because it just, you know, it just has good damage effects, um, can have them repeatable and it blocks pretty well. Um, but yeah, talk about Viscerai. Um, it's really interesting. So Reiner can have a pretty good time in this matchup if it's like the OTK builds um, because, you know, Intimidate becomes such an important factor and uh, basically, you know, you're just, you're denying them their game plan that they want to do, which is defend and set up room chance um, by using Intimidate. With... You know, like more mid-range uh, Viscerai decks, I think that can be really close. And then it's both player, both sort of players trying to find their five-gut hands and, and looking to grind a little bit into the mid-game. With Olivia, you know, they can struggle a little bit more on the flip side against the, the OTK um, because basically Olivia wants, like, decks to interact with them to some amount, right? Um, it doesn't have Intimidate. Uh, it can put up pretty big damage, but it does it does like a little bit of interaction. So against mid-range, though, I think Viscerai is, is in a lot better position because you, you basically just do you know, that mid-range sort of game plan a lot better than, than Viscerai does. Yeah, and if we head into Mechanologist or Dash, um, it's a really interesting matchup, especially from the Rhino perspective, and Hayden will have a plethora of thoughts about this. But um, against traditional Dash control, the Rhino, in my opinion, is very, very favored, especially because that card, Arg Smash. Mm -hmm. um, but if you were to play Rhino into nowadays, like the current iteration of Dash OC, which is very more mid-rangey and actually can boost a lot and go kind of aggro, um, it seems like the matchup is less for Ryan, not less as a, as how you would be into control, but still probably not dash favorite because Arc Smash is still an incredible card. Like blasting up all the potential items on the board and getting rid of all chambers, even if it is a more boost dash, is really really good. But if they are just kind of boosting into your face, uh, it does feel a bit harder than if they have a just completely passive and reactive plan like the control deck, uh, the control deck does. Yeah, one of the most important things about Flesh and Blood is that any hero can be any hero if the decks are set up correctly, right? Like if you have this really this game plan you've crafted, um, you can actually you know there's no matchup where it's like, well, this is this is unwinnable. Um, and of course, Arc Smash is like a really powerful card, but there's ways that the mech can play around that. Um, you can go watch the gameplay where we I played Dash into Brendan on Reinar, where I, I lost my induction chambers, um, but I set up plasma purifiers. Like there's there's game plans you can play into it. Um, that that matters. So I would say it's traditionally because of cards like Arc Smash, because of game plans. Uh, it's traditionally mech favored. I actually think I prefer now with the way mechs are playing in this more mid range build. I actually prefer to play Levia into that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's it's a very interesting matchup. It's a game uh, a matchup that I really enjoy playing as well, actually. All right, Hayden. Now for <laughs> a very interesting matchup: Levia versus Reinar. I know that you're kind of the the mastermind, or not the mastermind, but you're a big fan of both decks. So lay this one out for me. Yeah, I mean, I just prefer to be on the Livia side, to be honest. So again, that's that thing where Livia likes playing into more mid-range decks that are trying to, you know, do want to interact with you to some degree. And um, Reiner, you know, does want to try and mess up those hands. But at the same time, if Reiner comes in with some Intimidate effects, Livia can be in a position to just kind of take that uh, because your damage output is often a lot better with, with Livia. So um, I think in all sort of the way that the games can go, Livia's almost always sort of has a bit of favorability on their side um, as, as you go into that mid-game especially. Talk about Bolton. Um, can definitely be a, a tougher, I think, because, you know, you have a lot of attacks in your deck. Um, can, you know, triggering that uh, Sir Bolton hero ability, it can often become kind of attrition-based and they have, you know, their soul that they can build up. They can set up some really powerful turns and that can be a bit scary for you. Um, as well as like they do want to play our five cards a reasonable amount of the time so you know if you're intimidating um multiple cards from the hand they don't really care it's it's those again comes back to that like playing a barrage and beat down and coming in with like a club that can really sort of put them on the back foot but i bolton and katsu traditionally like for reiner for instance have been two of the tougher matchups and to be honest i think it's the same for for livia like those extremes are where it can be really difficult 
Um, and in the OTK deck, uh, that can be kind of scary as well. Although uh, if you're playing Reinar, maybe a little less so because you don't let them sort of um, preserve their life total like they might want to. Yeah, and then talking about Prism, the addition, you know, uh, somewhat popular addition that was in Monarch, of course, is I think Brute is kind of the, if we talk about any hero having a specific advantage over another, any class over another, I think Brute over, over Lucianist right now is probably one of the strongest ones. Um, it's just like, if you think about Guard, why Guardian can have a tough matchup into Prism, it's because they can land multiple auras on you. Um, but in Brute, you kind of have like a get-out-of-jail-free card uh, if that does happen, in the form of the scabskin leather, so very, very nice. And obviously, you're popping all their, you know, a lot of their heralds or, you know, spectras or whatever it may be, um, phantasm with your six attacks. So I think you're really, really favored on both brutes for this. Um, and yeah, the scabskin leather is able to get you out of multiple auras is very, very nice. Yeah, you can really so now, use that scabskin yeah, as the as the plan you need to write, which is not the crutch, but just uh, it can be a bit of a backup plan sometimes. But if the prison planners they're doing. Like they, there is obviously game plans they can play to, but I would say inherently it does does favor the brute. Yeah, and finally the boogeyman of the format that is chain. So if we're going to talk about chain versus brute, we can just call upon the the wise words of developer Jason Chung, and he he said recently in his breakdown after the devastation that Levia is actually quite good into chain because chain doesn't like big damage, and Levia can put out just massive amounts of damage. Reinar can also kind of do the same thing. Um, I've tested Reinar versus uh, Chain a little bit myself. Feels not so good for the Reinar. Yeah, but I hate that matchup. Levy, yeah, Levy, on the other hand, I would I would say that a lot of people didn't pay enough credence to what Jason Tone said, and there's probably a little, there's probably more there than you think. Um, Levy into Chain is, is uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say too much about it, but yeah, presenting a ton of damage to a Chain is uh, it's not something that they enjoy, that's for sure. But Hayden, before we close out, talk to me about Reinar versus Katsu. Yes, Rana versus Katsu, which we, we did miss. <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit about with Bolton. I did say that the Katsu and Bolton are matchups that traditionally uh, Brits, you know, don't favor because of the just the aggressive nature. Um, you're really looking to, I guess, in those matchups, uh, grind a little bit into the get yourself into the mid game to find some hands because, you know, they're going to come full steam and hit you from turn one. Um, and you know, if you get yourself on the back foot, you start leaking damage, uh, and you're you're pushing back not great damage. Uh, you're just going to lose the game pretty pretty quickly into the mid game. So cards like you know Barrage and Beatdown for Reinar are really key for Livia. Uh, really comes down to you know like your your um, like out of war turns and setting up these big big attacks um, and using probably Husk to help you get into that uh, game spot. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a tougher matchup I think in, in general. The sort of just against Ninja. But Brendan, I'm just gonna. Oh, sorry. Yep. What was that? What was that, Hayden? Before you really interrupted me. <laughs> sorry, I did. I was just going to say. I think it's time to talk quickly about how to how to beat brute in um, constructed That's what I was and just then about to say too. And then tie it up. Yeah, right. I'll roll into it. So basically, you know, we've talked a lot about just the, the macro game plans and like it's so important to for brute to you know do things well. So you know, really try and mitigate those RNG aspects. Um, set up these these key turns pitch uh, pitch well and um, really try and adapt what your opponent's doing and disrupt them so you know if you want to beat brute and classic constructed well they're going to play the in-between right so they're going to do it almost better than anyone else but if you are on the the scales i guess the, especially the aggressive edge of the scale it's really difficult for brute in general to deal with that so um that's where you know like katsu you know katsu with on hit effects and an aggressive game plan is like quite difficult for them to deal with and then the other piece that can be difficult to deal with and how to beat them um is being able to i guess um transition between you know on hit effects so really powerful things that they want to block out and also just being able to you know turtle up a little bit um and come in with like a hammer for six uh on on their turns so it's really difficult for i think brute 
doesn't love playing into Guardian in general and doesn't love playing into Ninja in, in general for those sort of reasons. Um, yeah, because you can, you know, you can spoil their setups as well. So, you know, you identify the turn with setting up their Bloodrush Bellows and you come in with your, you know, your, your Surging to Whelming and Force them to block or you come with your Crippling Crush, things like that. Um, yeah, talk about Brute and Blitz. Um, you just want to limit the power of their Intimidate and kill them early. You know, the longer you let the game go and um, because of the low-life titles and... In that format, uh, the more time you, you give them to set up their turns, and that's a uh, that is where Brute really wants to set up is in, in that format. Just find those big damage turns, sort of punch in the face, and <laughs> get out and done. So um, you know decks like Dorinthia, Ira, Kano, even Chain, they can you know sort of have these big burst turns early is uh, really important. And as well, you know some of those decks have really strong equipment uh, in the form of Dorinthia and Chain, which can be really powerful because it's just going to be straight damage from from the Brute decks. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Hayden. That does conclude our deep dive, our 101 on the Brute class. Um, let us know in the comments if this is something you enjoy. It has seemed to be a bit of a hit for us, so shoot us with what you would like to see next. Um, we do have a lot of very exciting topics coming as well with the release of Tales of Aria. We have our first calling. There's just so many things going on in Flesh and Blood right now, and I'm super excited. Um, just want to shout out our YouTube page, which is Arsenal Pass. Uh, we have been doing a big focus on YouTube recently, so we do have you know curated times in which we're uploading you know, uh, gameplay every week, deck techs, as well as this podcast and our sub podcast, Time of the Round, which is a version of this that is much more free form. And we kind of talk about me and Hayden's viewpoints on the game and more about our personal experiences. So go check that out. It is a YouTube exclusive. Um, and again, it is at Arsenal Pass. And thanks so much for everybody who has subscribed to us over the past couple of months. It has been an awesome, um, an awesome time of growth for us. Just want to shout out our Twitter pages. Me and Hayden, the boomers of Flesh and Blood, have figured out how to how to use Twitter. So I am located at at uh, at the Fitty Shades. So T H E Fitty Shades, F I D D Y S H A D E S. Kind of like that really popular novel. And Hayden is at Fiendale. So F Y E N underscore Dale. Um, kind of like Tom Fiendale and his last name. So go check us out. We actually did a raffle for the extended art. Um, Herald of Protections. Um, we did five play sets and the play mat. Those winners were actually chosen today at the recording of this podcast. So congratulations to those winners. But check us out because we love engaging with the community uh, and we do little fun giveaways in there and stuff like that. Um, have to shout out our Patreon. Super big thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, we've had an incredible outpouring of support since we opened the Patreon. And it's been an awesome, awesome thing to see. And it's very, very encouraging. If you are interested in the Patreon, what we do provide on there is very in-depth and detailed deck guides. So that comes with, you know, um, your deck list, of course, but then your sideboard list, your deck theory, your math, your ratios, everything you need to take that deck and be competitive as soon as possible. We also have a, you know, a Patreon-only podcast the one of which I think by the time this goes, goes out, it's all have yep. been uploaded. And that's, yeah, and that is the three things you need to win a calling. Um, and yeah, with that, Hayden, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you all next week. Yeah, see you later, guys. Bye.